1 Samuel 17, we're going to look at today verses 12 through 31, and the title of the message is Optimistic Enthusiasm. Now, for those of you who are members and regular attenders of this church, and you know that we are coming to the end of another series, we will finish that series, have only one more message, we'll do that in January. Uh, There's a lot of reasons that we have come to uh, this message this day and the two messages to follow, and of course, this is Christmas month. This is not a Christmas message, however. Jan and I were watching uh, the news a few days ago. And they were reporting on record sales. I can't remember if it was Cyber Monday record sales or in-store record sales or box store record sales, something that was record sales uh, at the beginning of the Christmas shopping season. It could have been after the Thanksgiving weekend, the big, the summation of all the Black Friday stuff. And if you've been watching the news and watching the stock market, you know that the stock market is trending at an all-time high. Uh, The Dow is over 19,000 for the first time in the history uh, of of our country. Um, And barring any correction or setback, and there are always corrections and there are always setbacks, the upswing seems to be able to to, to be lasting. And I was watching the news and, and with Jan, and I looked at her and I said, all of that is on optimism. There's nothing that's backing this up. It's all based on optimism. Now, I don't think that's a bad thing. In fact, I think that's a, a good thing. Uh, I think that people who have businesses, they're optimistic. They're optimistic that regulations are going to be Uh, rolled back, and I think that small businesses are optimistic that they will be able to grow. I think that that larger businesses that maybe have been uh, sending some some, uh, uh, jobs overseas will not do so as much. We've seen some of that in the the news this weekend. And let me say this. this, this really is not a political statement. It's just introducing that there seems to be a door of optimism opened in our country. Now, how long it'll stay open, if it stays open, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. This isn't about uh, politics. This is just an introduction. And, and I, I looked because I, I believe that optimism is a, is a positive thing. In fact, I know that it is. Um, and I think that optimism will affect all of us. I think optimism does affect all of us. Um, I think that it impacts the body of Christ. I think that the body of Christ, the local church, is impacted by, by optimism, certainly more so than, than pessimism. I think that, that we as believers can overcome our circumstances or our view of our circumstances during a time when everything is, is more optimistic. And I think that we should look for reasons and find reasons to be optimistic And I want to encourage you in that regard, not only this Sunday, but I want to encourage you for the next two Sundays leading up to Christmas. And then on Christmas Day, we will have our Christmas service. And we will sing Christmas songs and all of that. But I want us to look three Sundays in a row at the subject or the topic of optimism or optimistic. Now, when I 
thought about that the other day. I said, okay, now who is the most optimistic person in the Bible? Who's the person that I, I would look in the Word of God and I would say, okay, now this person right here, this person is truly optimistic. This person really has the kind of outlook that all of us can and should have in every area of our lives. And I settled on a young man. I settled on someone who was certainly not a seasoned veteran at anything, but he was a young guy. And he was a young guy who had displayed some extraordinary optimism in his life and who went on to accomplish some great things. And I think because of God's hand being upon him, but I also think because of enthusiastic or optimistic enthusiasm. 1 Samuel chapter 17 will tell you about this young man. His name was David, verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man uh, was already old and, and advanced in years, that is, Jesse was. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of the three uh, sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the next to him was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul uh, to feed, uh, back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for you uh, your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. By the way, that's why he was going back and forth. He was delivering supplies to his, to his brothers. Then verse 18, also, take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand and see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now, there's some observations that I want to make from the story of David and Goliath. There's some observations specifically that I want to make about David's life. Years ago, I brought a sermon series titled Facing Your Giant. And I talked about how David faced off with the giant. And that was a series looking at the the giant obstacles in our lives or the giant problems or whatever it may be. But this series is about David's optimism, because I think his optimism is inspiring for all of us. Even though David was a very young man, what was true of him, I believe, is true for you and me all of us individually, and all of us collectively. And so I'm going to make some generalizations today. I don't believe they're hasty generalizations. I believe they're well thought out. And I'm going to talk about something that are some ways that every one of us might be affected in certain areas of life. For instance, let me start with this. Everyone has a future. Everyone does. Now, here's what our tendency is. We look at this group of young ladies and this group of young men, and we say, boy, they have a future. But Ben, everyone has a future. Every single person has a future. There is no woman mentioned in the, the household, but with eight sons, I'm certain that, that uh, these guys had a mother. And of those mentioned, we can see how the family was represented and how that everyone had a place everyone had a future. Let me tell you who had the future in that family. First of all, Jesse, the father, had a future. 
Now, the Bible specifically said that Jesse was old, that he was advanced in years. But even though he was old and advanced in years, he still had a future. Old people have a tendency to look back and not look ahead. Old people have a tendency to look on how things used to be or how things might have been instead of looking ahead, instead of seeing that they have a future. It's fair enough to say that older people probably has, have less life to live than those who are younger, but still there is a future. For me to live more life than I have already lived, I'd have to live to be about 130-something years old, I think, is the, the way that it would shake out for me. Because I'm, I'm advanced, I'm in the second half anyway of life. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a future. Jesse had a future. For Jesse, part of his future involved the welfare of his sons. He lived for his family. He lived for his sons. Now, those of us who are parents, we understand that. Even if, our, if we're empty nesters, we understand that our future, to a great measure, is involved in our children or our grandchildren, but we have a future. And like Jesse, we want to hear from them, and we want to know that they are, they are doing well. And it's a good thing when we hear from them and we know that they're doing well. And, and I say this, if, if you are no longer think of yourself as young, and I think our church has a good balance between younger and not so young. If you no longer think of yourself as young, please don't dismiss that God has a future for you. There is a future for you. Please see that. Just because you might feel that you're coming to the end of something doesn't mean that there's not a future for you. Everybody has a future. And life is about looking forward to something each day. And, and when life uh, truly has uh, is nearing the end, then we look forward to the eternal day. But life should be about looking forward. We can appreciate the past. We can learn from our past. But we look forward. One of the things I would love to do in, uh, after I transition from being your pastor, one thing that I would love to do is to help people uh, in, in churches and pastors and leaders in churches and help them to avoid making certain mistakes. I'm an expert on the mistakes that can be made in ministry. I can tell them about that. And I want to be able to do that. That's part of the future that I have. Everyone has a future. Jesse, the father, had a future. Then there were the sons in battle. Of the eight sons born to the household of Jesse, the three oldest had a future in battle. Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third one, Shammah. They all went to, to battle, and they battled the Philistine army. They, they were there. I'm not sure how much battling was going on because this was a pretty big standoff. And this huge Philistine soldier named Goliath had the Israelite army literally shaking in their sandals. I mean, they were really afraid. They, they didn't know what to do because he, he kept making these big overtures, and we'll get to that in just a moment. 
They didn't realize that God was preparing a victory, that God was in the process of preparing a victory, even with a young man who was coming to see them and just for the purpose of bringing food. What they did do is something that everybody should do, even when it doesn't appear that victory is imminent. What they did was they stayed faithful to their task. They stayed faithful to what God had for them. Do you know part of your future is being faithful to what God has given you? That's called stewardship. That's called managing who God made you, managing what God gave you, managing who you are. That's part of your future. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And so sometimes our job, though we go to war, so to speak, or maybe we are in the thick of the battle, it doesn't seem like we're making much progress, but like the sons of Jesse, we have to be faithful to where we are, and that is part of God's plan for us. There are all, all of us have times when we feel like nothing is being accomplished, and we're looking for more results. We're looking for more progress. We're looking for more to show for our efforts. Does that mean that we're not in the right place because we don't see more right now? Does that mean that God has moved on to others? We have to be careful about thinking ourselves of no value or without a future just because something isn't going right for us now. All of the Israelite army facing each day this huge man, this giant named Goliath, and all of them being so afraid and listening to his daily taunts, they might have in their mind and they might have in their heart, well, what's the use? What is the use? There is no, no future. Nothing is going right. I'm going to tell you what the use is and what the future is. Sometimes the future is in being faithful, just being faithful where you are to who you are at this juncture of God's plan for your life. Everyone has a future. In this story, there was an old man named Jesse. He had a future. There were three sons that went to battle. They had a future. There were also the ones unnamed. There were some people that had no identity given to them in this story who also had a future. Now in sports, this is Basketball Sunday. In sports, there's always more on the team than play in the game. Always. Depending on the game, there might be a game where everybody gets to play, but there's always more on the team than play in the game. That's true in your sport. That's true in just about any sport. There's more on the team than get to play in the game. If that's who you are, then you're like the other, one of the other four sons of Jesse. You're part of the family, you're part of the story, you're vital to everything, you're just unnamed. Here's what we call them oftentimes. We call them, you've heard this, they're called unsung what? Heroes. They're unsung heroes. The Bible clearly says that Jesse had eight sons, but only four are accounted for, the three sons who went to battle. And then David is mentioned. And that's the way life is. Not everybody is going to be praised. Not everybody is going to get rich. Not everybody is going to have superpowers. 
<clears throat> not everybody is going to have the accolades delivered to them. They're not going to have the recognition. But I will tell you, without the unnamed, those who are named would never have what those who are named have. It's always that way. Always that way. Everyone knows the name Dalvin Cook. Everybody knows that name, at least now you do. You know the name Dalvin Cook. But do you know the names of the guys who block for Dalvin Cook? Oh, you may know one or two, but do you, do you remember the linemen? Do you remember the blocking backs? Do you remember the, the ones who block downfield? We, we have a tendency to remember number four and to forget all of the rest. Because all of the, the rest are unnamed. But I'll tell you this, without the unnamed, unsung heroes dating all the way back to middle school, I'm sure, for Dalvin, Dalvin Cook would never have become who he has become. Chances are very real that he's going to leave Florida State. He's going to, to sign a mega million dollar deal with some NFL team, and Dalvin Cook is going to be a really, really rich guy who would never have gotten to where he is were there not some guys in junior high or middle school and junior varsity and varsity uh, high school football blocking for him. He would never have gotten to the stage that he got to. And when he got on the stage, he would have never been able to perform the way that he has performed had there not been some people whose name we don't even remember. Oh, we remember if they don't make the block. But our eyes are never on them when they make the block. Our eyes always follow the runner. They always follow Dalvin Cook. Very few make it to the limelight, and very few will ever make it to the limelight. Even those who are unknown, however, and those who are unnamed are vital to the victory. Everyone has a future. John Milton, the author of the 17th century, uh, an author of the 17th century, lost his sight and wrote the poem on his blindness. In the last line of the poem, he wrote what may have become his most memorable words that he ever took pen to paper and and wrote. He wrote, they also serve who only stand and wait. You know what he's saying? There are unnamed, unsung heroes. There are people whose name you will never know that had it not been for them, the victory would have never been won. In this epic story from the Bible, there were people who had futures, Jesse and and his older brothers and the other brothers and the soldiers in the field and King Saul and, and more. But there was one son named David. And he is specifically mentioned. David was the baby. Could I say this to you? That usually... The babies of the family, the youngest, are the most wonderful people in the family. They are quite often so bright and so pretty. Having six older sisters and two older brothers, I can share with you that I have had a bit of the David experience. Not all of his experience, but a bit of the David experience. David was the baby. He had seven brothers, but there could have been sisters too. 
I would think that there are sisters. Maybe not, but I would think that there probably were. And God had a plan for everyone in that family, even the mother, even the sisters, whoever it was. But we know that God had a plan for David. David's future involved facing a giant and defeating that giant. And and he went on and he faced more giants in his life. Some he defeated and some tripped him up. He faced the giant of jealousy and temptation. He faced the giant of of fear and, and the giant of having great authority. And as I said, some giants he would face successfully and others would make him stumble and fall. Nevertheless, David, like the rest of the family, had a future. Now let's just stop just a moment. What I just said of Jesse and what I just said of the unnamed brothers, what I just said of of the uh, brothers who went to war, and what I just said of David is true of you, each and every one of you. You're not talking to me, preacher. I don't have a future. I am talking to you, and you do have a future. Everyone has a future. When you say your life is over, your life is not over. Everyone has a future. Everyone has a future. Let me give you the second thing everyone has. Everyone has an opportunity. Going on in the story of 1 Samuel 17, now verse 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and and left the sheep and the keeper and, and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistine drew up for battle against uh, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and, and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, He came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Now, just by way of review, and so you'll know, and we're going to carry this on for two two more Sundays. But just so you'll know, here's what Goliath was saying in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 18. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And thus began WWE. (laughs) Goliath, by the way, years ago when I was a young pastor, I baptized a wrestler named Goliath. He was six foot ten, weighed 420 pounds, and I baptized that guy. He got saved, and I baptized that guy. What I should say is we were baptized together. And his wrestling buddies, and this was long before people applauded anything in church, his wrestling buddies were there. And when I got that big guy back out, they were going, yeah! 
kind of added a new dimension to our church. I was excited about it. Everybody had an opportunity to do battle with Goliath. Everybody did. The size of the army of, of Israel was formidable, I'm sure. There had to be some impressive soldiers among them, including the three oldest of Jesse. They all had a chance. But they had made a mistake, a mistake that a lot of people make. It's made by many in letting life play out instead of looking for and seizing the opportunities that are placed before us. The safety of staying put lures many, but also keeps them from seeing what God intends for their lives. It's just safer to stay put. It's just safer to pull back and not be noticed. It's just safer not to take the shot. It's just safer not to want the ball. That's a mistake a lot of people make. The safety of staying put. Certainly we should not live reckless in our lives, but being frozen in fear, stagnated by safety, well, that's going to find, that's going to find us letting life escape us. And someday when we come to the end and we say, where did it all go? We'll really mean, where did it all go? There were so many chances. There were so many opportunities. And now they're all gone. I'll have to admit that, that life did not look good for anyone wearing, who wasn't wearing the, the Philistine uniform, but there was a path to victory. And out of all of those Israelite soldiers, surely there would be one person who was optimistic. Out of all of those soldiers, surely that, who were not ready to face Goliath, surely there was somebody who would. And there was a young man who made a life-changing de- decision. David had his moment. In fact... Listen to this. Everyone, everyone has a moment. I don't mean most people. Everyone has a moment. We call them defining moments. There may be more than one moment, but everybody has at least one. These these defining moments. Do I love this person? I had a defining moment at Middle Tennessee State University walking across campus with my friend David Busby when a carload of girls came by. And I said, Buzz, don't we know those girls? He said, yes, we know those girls. And I said, let's stop them. And they were just circling the the quad. And they came by the second time and we stood out in the road and they had to either kill us or stop for us. And they stopped. They had all gone to high school with us except one. The one was sitting in the middle of the front seat. You could do that back then. The one sitting in the middle of the front seat, her name was Janice Dozier. She had been in the fifth grade with me. She was smoking in the fifth grade. I don't mean smoking. I mean smoking in the fifth grade. Fifth grade. And she was now a college student. And I looked in the window and I said, you're Janice Dozier. 
you're Randy Ray. Yes, I am. In the background, Barry White music began to play in my head. That was a defining moment for me. You've all had defining moments. Do I love this person? Should I go with these people or should I not go with these people? Is this a job change that I I should make? You've probably had a lot of life-defining moments. As we navigate life, all of it, not just our younger years, we should ask ourselves, is this a life-defining moment? And if it is, make your decision wisely, led by God and with confidence that it is God who is moving your steps. Life-defining moments. Those (coughs) defining moments are divine appointments, and we should look at them as such. This is a defining moment, a divine appointment. Let me do what God wants me to do. God has intervened in my life and brought to me this defining moment. David had one of those. When David heard the voice of evil, he had a defining moment. Here it is. Verse 24, all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and give him his daughter and make his future uh, and, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done? Really? What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. How did David come to this defining moment in his life? I want to give you, I think, just a couple of things here. First of all, David heard what others had rejected or refused to hear. Everyone had the opportunity, but David heard it. He heard the opportunity. He wanted to know what it meant. What does it mean? You say that Saul has offered up something. I want to know what that means. Could you tell me? Tell me more. I don't think he was in it for the riches, but, but he could see the advantage that came with seeing the opportunity and doing something about it. There are people who want the life that someone else has and the path, uh, uh, the, 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 the benefits of the life that someone else has, but here's what they don't want. They don't want the path that they walked to get there. They just want to jump from where they are to what somebody else has or where somebody else is. They don't want to follow the path to get there. And, and let me tell you, it's a hard path. It's a hard path to have optimistic, optimistic enthusiasm throughout. That's a hard path. It's not a giddy path. It's not a silly path. It's a difficult path. It's the same spirit that makes you practice every day to get better at your sport. It's the spirit that gets you out of bed in the morning to walk or, or to run or to go to the gym or to do something to keep yourself moving. 
It's the same resolve that saves money from each paycheck to make sure that you have it for a rainy day or for retirement. It's the same optimism that ties because God has promised to bless it and you want to partner with God. Look, it's the same uh, commitment that, that stays with the job until it is finished. Many people reject the prosperity of life because they're not optimistic that it'll work out for them. They're more afraid from, of what somebody's going to take from them than from, for what God can do for them. God can do a lot more for you than anybody can take from you. I don't often say stuff that's really brilliant, but that's close. God can do more for you than anyone can take from you. David wasn't like these other people. He wasn't like the rest of the army of Israel. David heard an opportunity that others rejected, and David had refused what others had come to accept. Other people had just accepted it. The army of Israel had been listening to the Philistine mock them for a long time. They'd gotten used to it, but when David heard it, something was stirred inside of him. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? There is a difference between leaders and those who are led. Leaders will not let bad situations continue. They just won't. No matter what the situation is, leaders will not let bad situations continue. They know that there's a better path. They know there's a better way. And they make decisions to eliminate the negative and accentuate the positive and accomplish the possible. If David was alive today, he'd be a captain of industry. He'd be a leader of armies, a commander-in-chief. If in the ministry he would refuse defeat, he would never be defeated. He would always press on. But remember this, at one time, David was just like everybody else. A young man with a future. A young man with an opportunity. He's just like you and me, whether we're young or not. He had a future and he had an opportunity. However, he had a moment, a decision that changed his life. Where did it go from here? And where does it go from here? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at for the next couple of Sundays. But I want to give you one more thing that David has in common with everybody. Everybody. This is not going to sound like an optimistic note to end on. It's where we end on in this part of the story, though. Everyone has opposition. (laughs) We do. We all have opposition. Obviously, Goliath is the object of this battle, but there was more opposition than that big ugly dude. The opposition wasn't so much from the giant, but from David's own family, his brothers, for crying out loud. Verse 28, now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? 
And he turned away from him toward another, and he spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated him before Saul, and he sent for him. Interesting, isn't it? David's words. What have I done now? What is it now? I think there had been some pretty good arguments in Jesse's household. I think David had had some arguments with his older brothers, maybe even his oldest brother. And he says, what have I done now? Big brother Eliab didn't like little brother David taking the risk, stealing the show, hogging the spotlight, trying to be big Pete. Those closest to us have the best chance of building us up or taking us down. You ought to remember that during this holiday season. You ought to remember that those closest to you can build you up or take you down the quickest. And, and those to whom we are close. When we talk to our children, we need to remember that. We need to remember that, that we can be their best advocate or their most distressing enemy. Listen to the dreams and ideas and the plans of the people that you love. And even when you offer caution, do so in an encouraging way. Lift them up. Here's what's true. We're coming to the end of 2006, 16, excuse me. And we are looking at a historic year ahead for a lot of reasons. In this church, it's going to be a historic year ahead because the pastor that you've had for 25 years is transitioning into another kind of ministry. We call it retirement, but it's transition. And you'll have a new pastor here. It's a historic year for this ministry. It's a historic year for this school. It's a historic year here. It's, it's a big deal. And for a lot of other reasons, the question is, how are we going to approach all of this? What will we make of it? Here's what John Maxwell says. When confronted with a difficult situation, a person with an outstanding attitude makes the best of it while he gets the worst of it. Life can be likened to a grindstone. Whether it grinds you down or polishes you depends on what you're made of. So what are you made of? Will you let the year ahead, will you let the year past, will you let it grind you down or will, it, will you let it polish you so that you might more clearly reflect the Jesus of your life? Everyone has a future. Everyone has an opportunity. Everyone has a moment. And you know what? Everyone has opposition. And all of us can do something with it.